Ahau, poso maoni wiak, wai wainan kitana ni mua e yoski pietaya posnotaman e yom MITW podcast. A yospis pietaya posnapi notaman e nehisikimaka e yoso matname neha kihi. Welcome to the Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin podcast with your hosts, Gary Dodge and Sheena Wapoos. On episode seven of the MITW podcast, we will be interviewing Myrna Warrington, Darla Dick, and Marsha Utella about the addiction forums. Can we get some background information like names, job titles, and what roles you have in setting up the forums? Uh, my name is Darla Dick. I'm the treatment center administrator at Manasakia Wellness Center. I've worked at Manasakia for going on 13 years now, um, with the last few years being in the uh, leadership role and taking more of an active approach in um, addressing the issues of substance abuse within the community. So that's that's also my role with the um, forums and the work that we've we've done this far. Also, my name is Myrna Warrington. I'm currently on the Menominee Tribal Legislature, going into my 12th year. I serve as the director of vocational rehabilitation, which helps people with disabilities. I'm also the chairperson of the Health and Family Committee, which keeps me actively involved in the health issues on our reservation. Uh, Poso everyone, my name is Marcia Yatella. I am the project administrator and tribal admin. Um, I've been in my position for almost a year. When it comes to the um, addiction forums, um, I haven't really been a part of the planning committee, but I do participate in the forums themselves. So how did the monthly forums on addiction start? Well, I think the work with the forums started back in, gosh, dating back to 2016 when the Menominee Tribal Legislature um, passed an ordinance and, and um, developed the drug task force. I don't know, Myrna, if you want to talk a little bit about what happened at that point. Or how that came up. That's kind of different, that task force. That's mostly on that ordinance process. Okay. Well, starting in, we can start from uh, 2017, um, a group of, because of the synthetic marijuana task force that was developed um, through our legislature, we really, I think, started to realize how much was happening in our community outside of synthetic marijuana. Um, we've had continued issues with substance abuse uh, at many different levels, and I think at that time in 2017, it really became um, more of a public issue, and people started to become more aware and um, being vocal about the challenges they were seeing. So a group of um, department leads and tribal administration, members of our Menominee legislature, including Myrna, um, came together to develop a tribal action plan that would address the substance abuse issues within the community and really kind of encompass all of the work that we do, what we're seeing, and, and what our goal is moving forward. So in 2017, we developed and, Im and implemented an a Menominee action plan that was, um, and, and we developed a shared vision, I should say, that by 2020, um, we envisioned our tribal communities to be engaged, informed, and actively participating in the healing of individuals, families, and communities. 
we envisioned a integrated and effective system of resources supporting our families, working together toward a healthy and culturally vibrant Menominee Nation. And I think, you know, the work that we've done, although um, maybe not directly with the items addressed in the action plan, we really outlined what we wanted to see, and it really got people thinking and talking about what we wanted to do to change. So as a part of that, before we moved to implement the plan, um, the forums were an opportunity to get education to the community. We really didn't know how people um, could fully support or help if they didn't really truly understand what addiction does, how it impacts the individual, the family, and the community, and also our environment. So that's kind of where the forums started. It really um, demonstrated what the individual is going through, how it impacts the family, and then again, the impacts on the community and, and what responses were needed. So it really gave us an opportunity to get that information out so that people could make more informed decisions in addressing the issues. So Darla referred to some things that were going on back in 2015-2016. The Neopet community and others became really in uproar because of the deaths and the high, heavy use of synthetic marijuana. So their first meeting they had up there as a community, there was probably over 100 people up there in the tribal school gym. We continued to have meetings, and I was put on that task force to help with addressing that issue. And so we start meeting in the community building in Neopet with the people that were really, really involved and active. And... Uh, that next meeting came down to maybe 60 or so. We continued to meet, and it's just really sad, but it started to dwindle down to you know 20 and then pretty soon 10. And I stayed involved with the ladies up there because they were very intent on fighting this in issue in the community of Neopet. They became very vigilant in watching what was going on as far as activity, drug sales, traffic in certain areas, too many cars someplace and questioning that, that they would report that to the police. These ladies still stay involved yet today, and I'm a part of that, and we are called Boots on the Ground Grandmas. <laughs> yeah. So I'm really proud of that, and we just continue to meet. Uh, we've been taking uh, little trips here and there to find out what other communities are doing because, you know, it's evolved from synthetic marijuana, which kind of went down, and now into these other drugs, the opioids, the um, heroin, yep. meth, things like that. And so we need to continue to address that portion of the tribal action plan mm -hmm. that mentions this area. And so Darla and Manasekia has been very, very active and you know, addressing this issue, and we decided, I think we tried forums every month, but we went to every other month or so because we really need to keep people involved. We can't let it go at just one or two here and there. It has to be constant so people are involved and they know the deaths that are happening in our community. Mm -hmm. And I think that group has been one that we've utilized not only in developing the action plan, but they've, like you said, have stayed connected provided us guidance on some of the topics that we've had. Um, so, you know, having community members that are really 
reactive to the issues and and a part of planning is really helpful to, for departments when it comes to um, knowing what's going on outside of our own you know kind of little bubbles that we can get we can get caught up in. Um, in regards to the topics, like I said, some of them were were recommended from community members, but we really started out with the basic education of what addiction does to the brain, how it impacts um, an individual's brain. Really has a direct, um, you know, it, it explains why behaviors are the way they are. It explains why people make the choices that they do. Because I think we saw a lot of people who didn't understand why is this person doing so many things that are hurtful. Um, when they know it's hurtful and they know it's wrong. So really understanding that, you know, your your brain is somewhat hijacked when, when you're continuously taking some of these substances and what you know to be wrong is your brain is hijacked into thinking that you need to do these things in order to get this substance and that's what consumes you. So we really explained a lot of, you know, how that impacts um, individuals and then also the impacts that the families feel indirectly. So I think some of you know, the family members that um, get caught up in other people's addictions and don't take care of themselves or others in their family and, you know, how that can consume a whole family outside of the individual. So that was a lot of our first um, our first few forums were really educating people on what it does. And then we moved into more of a more larger scale of education on um, legalization of marijuana and how that can impact a community and the environment and homelessness and how that impacts substance and links to substance abuse. Um, some of the others that we've talked about were really information sharing on response to either overdoses or um, responding to individuals who are actively using what do you do as a family member? How do you support them? How do you make sure that they're safe? And then we started incorporating Narcan training and that's kind of where where Marsha and Tribal PD, you know, really doing that emergency response. So now that we know what addiction is and how it impacts, now we can start moving into more of like the um, responsive actions. How do I save somebody if they're overdosing? How do I respond? If I know someone's selling, you know, drugs down the street, we had PD do presentations on how to contact, how to, re you know, how to get that information to them so that they could implement and act on um, those reports. So we had a lot of assistance moving forward from departments, just educating people on what's out there. I think a lot of our programs change and adapt over time. So really letting people know what is in the community now versus what was here five years ago is, is drastically different and it can change with each department. So I think that's where we, mar we migrated now to mm -hmm. showing what's here so that people, they know what it is, they know how it impacts. Now, how do we, how do we move forward? Can one of you explain a little bit more about uh, Narcan? When I do my trainings, I, I purchase the nasal spray. Um, that's probably, for me, the most safe and convenient way to administer Narcan. Um, you do have the injectable. Um, it is cheaper than the nasal spray, but me personally, I don't want to handle needles, um, so I go with the nasal spray. Um, so what that does is when somebody um, overdoses on an opioid, um, you administer the nasal spray through their nose on one side, and each nasal spray contains four uh, milligrams of the antidote, and what it does is it attacks the brain receptors that get you high. So what it does is it reverses the effect. Now, um, Narcan only lasts between 30 to 90 minutes, and just depending on how much opioids that that person took, they could actually go OD up again. 
Um, so for Narcan to start working, it usually takes anywhere between two to about five minutes. So what happens is if you hear like very shallow breaths, um, we suggest administering Narcan. Um, there's not a lot of people out there that are allergic to it, but we always tell people in our trainings that if you do administer Narcan, always call 911 so EMS can come out and check them out. Um, it is up to that person whether they want to go to the hospital or not. That's their prerogative. About 99% of the time they don't, but like I said, it's up to them. If you start noticing that it, it's not really working for them, you could administer the second dose because each box contains two doses. So you could administer the second dose. Usually their, their breathing starts improving, but again, you called 911, so you should be good to go. Some other symptoms, I guess, what you can kind of look for, um, if they are high on an opioid, they would have pinpoint pupils. So that's something to look for, um, very shallow breathing, things of that nature. Um, if their pupils are not pinpoint, they're dilated, that means they're on some other type of drug. I know we've heard people say, well, I only smoked marijuana, but they're pupils are pinpointed, that means that it's probably mixed with something, most likely fentanyl. Um, fentanyl is usually cut with to just about any type of drug that's out there and it's very lethal. I think that's why a main reason why a lot of people are ODing. I always like to say when I do my, my Narcan trainings is that a lot of these drugs are coming in from out of the county or the country like say Mexico and they cut it. So they're doubling their batch. So can you imagine how many times it's been cut as it makes its way to the reservation? It could be pure fentanyl by the time it gets up here. Um, so a lot of people don't realize that, and, you know, it, it, people die from it, unfortunately. I know there's been a lot of cases lately that I've been hearing about out in the community and stuff, so it's pretty sad. But, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what Narcan is. <laughs> Two things. So if someone is going down, you know, be very careful not to do mouth-to-mouth -mouth because you don't know what could be, what they could have taken and whether or not it would be deadly to you. The other thing is that this stuff becomes airborne, and so if you're there, you're susceptible to it. <clears throat> We've had police uh, come in contact with some of this stuff, and they went down, and they had to have Narcan treatments to um, get them back. And so that's very, very dangerous people. This is why we do all these forums and so that our community is educated as to the dangers of what is out there, what is coming through here. We have a presenter coming up, Brian Kostalik, who is well-informed and knows the trends, what's coming through the res, what's coming from the cities. So that's why it is so so very, very important that people get educated, be involved in this thing, so we don't lose any more of our people to death due to drugs. I just kind of want to add, add to that, um, to what Myrna said, too. Um, you know, when it comes to, you know, white substance or doing mouth-to-mouth, -mouth, things of, like, of that nature, even, you know, drugs becoming airborne, and, and sometimes you can't see it. Um, it'll look like dust. Mm -hmm. Um, when it comes to the police officers, the police officer actually just lifted up the purse and overdosed. And it's because of their tolerance is so low compared to the person that, you know, the purse belonged to, that it actually took two doses of Narcan to bring that person back. So, and it, you know, it's a police officer, a young police officer um, at that. So, I mean, I can't even imagine, you know, for somebody to 
how much it would take for them to overdose. It, like again, it just really depends on what their tolerance is to that to the opiate that they're using. Um, usually, it'll just start off really small, um, and you know their tolerance builds up, and that's when they start using the heavier stuff, the heavier stuff, and it's going to just be more and more and more. So just be very careful. Um, if you do happen to come across somebody that have overdosed, um, again, call 911 right away. Try not to do mouth-to-mouth. Um, we always say if you can do CPR or, heart, or compressions, please do that instead to keep them alive. Um, it's 100 times a minute, uh, the compressions. Um, I mean, it's your obligation to do that, um, you know, for the safety of you too. Um, we wouldn't want you to OD either. So just hearing you guys speak just on that part, um, I guess it's kind of obvious why opioid this topic was picked for this forum. Mm -hmm. Is there any other indicator that things that you guys see that made it such an important topic to cover? I think just seeing the the use that's happening and, you know, I know that people talk about the opioid epidemic all over the, the nation and the state and whatnot, but I think, you know, losing just one person from an opioid death is enough to educate the community and educate people. You know, one life really, really matters um, when you look at the, the challenges that our community has faced and, and what we've what we've been able to accomplish um, in battling the addictions um, that have been present in our community. So I think just seeing one was enough for people. And, and like Myrna said earlier, you know, the individuals in our communities are aware of what's happening. They see it happening. So I think the forums and the, the education and the, the funding that we've been able to obtain to fight this problem was really listening to our community members and seeing what's happening and I think that was a big piece of, of why we were moving forward with um, the opioid forums and, and the work that we continue to do every month. So so I, I need to add to that because it this whole thing is really sad and the seriousness of it, I have lost two people very close to me due to opioids. And so I've been involved in this for four years and... You know, I don't want anybody else to say I wish I knew then what I know now because that's what I say, that we need to be aware, we need to learn, be watchful. This forum that's coming up is going to be very, very good to see things that are out there, information on the opioids, also the hidden in plain sight. It's a room that'll be set up where you know, if you have young kids that live with you, you'll be able to kind of look for that stuff. You know, you can't just wait and see. you got to actually be vigilant in watching what our kids are doing because uh, there's so much going out there. There's so much peer pressure that we have to be vigilant all the time, no matter what the age of our family is. Okay, so you guys have spoke on the impacts on the community. Do any of you happen to know like what the rates of the opioid addiction is in the community? I think the rates, and, and this is kind of um, an issue across multiple tribal communities and other communities, is that these, these um, the use and the, the treatment isn't always tracked because, number one, people aren't always coming forward and saying that they're using, you know, these items. 
um, or substances, I should say. And then the other piece is, you know, when you do have overdoses that occur, there's a trigger with um, tracking that's missing. And I think, you know, just having the issue across multiple counties, you know, people weren't tracking overdose deaths at this level before. So I think to be able to uh, put a number on things is challenging for multiple people. I mean, we have numbers on the individuals we diagnose and treat within our facility. Um, but when it comes to really tracking overdoses, it's tricky because of how it, it depends on, on how the individual comes into contact with either EMS or um, the hospital. It, it could link to cardiac issues. So the way it's labeled um, sometimes is challenging for us to, to gather the data. And I think that's something that we've also included in some of the grants that we've applied for is how do we collect that data how do we track the changes that we're making to make sure that we're doing what we need to do? And, and those things are really adding up to a successful program or service that we've implemented with those grants. So it's a big part that we've continued to, to gather information. We've come into challenges with gathering information that is available, but we continue to, to look and search and, and be very vocal. I know um, the ladies here with me have always been really vocal about trying to get that data because we know it's important. So um, so what topics are going to be covered at the forum? What will be available for people? So we, I think we started out with, you know, we really wanted to get information to the community on services. Like I said, our forums prior to were all about educating on addiction, educating on the impacts, and now we're getting ready to let people know. I mean, we've, we've done education forums before where we've talked about services, but we're really bringing multiple providers together that all come into contact at one point with individuals who may be struggling with either you know, addiction or family service needs. So bringing them all together in one spot and saying, here's all the services that we have available that can help an individual who's struggling with and, and, and I think, you know, we, we pick the topic of opioid abuse, but it really encompasses a lot more than just that. We really look at the whole picture of substance abuse issues. So we've, we'll have, you know, services that are available for um, alcohol, opiates. Um, we even have our family services um, crisis response team that will be presenting on the services they have. Um, we, we're linking back to some human trafficking topics because that's another issue that's linked directly to substance use, but a whole nother gamut of challenges and dangers for the community. Um, and then we're also going to be providing information on medication-assisted treatment. And I think moving into that, you start looking at what is harm reduction. And I know some people have, you know, they sit on one side of the fence when it comes to medication-assisted treatment, but when you start looking at techniques or approaches that save lives, um, it's worthwhile to listen and hear about what they're doing and how they're helping people um, either maintain sobriety or get clean or get engaged with a traditional program. So I think there's a lot of information that's available that'll benefit multiple people. Yeah, and I, I, I don't think a, what a lot of people realize is that a lot of these programs that the different organizations have are not just for the individuals who are going through these issues here that they are also servicing the family members and the caregivers um, that take care of their families. So I think that's another huge issue um, that are not issue, but what we want to reach out to the community and let them know that there's things like that that are available to them. Yeah. I like the idea of the room because uh, 
we have to agree that a lot of grandparents are parenting now. One of the reasons is the drugs, but also grandparents don't always know what's out there. They know alcohol is out there, but they don't know all of these drugs that are coming through our reservation. And so Darla puts on a really good uh, room there that show where to look for this kind of stuff. So hopefully we'll get a lot of grandparents there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of hidden compartments and things that look like toys. I mean, you'd, I, I was shocked to learn about the multiple um, stash places or ways to conceal substances in a bedroom or even as an adult. You know, if you have somebody who's staying with you, it would be helpful to know, you know, if, if they have this certain little item in their room that's always there and you're questioning. And people should be informed and be able to identify someone who has substances in their home that they don't want there. So I think it's really informative for for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I know it was for me before I took a look at it. <laughs> So to clarify, that's the hidden in plain sight room that is like a model bedroom, right? Yeah, it started with, I believe, a mother who lost her um, daughter to an overdose. And after the loss, they went through her room and found multiple hiding areas that she would conceal her substance um, of choice. And so she started meeting with other mothers or other parents who lost individuals, and they kind of compiled all of this information together. And then they started going around to different schools and, you know, telling, um, educating parents and other students about um, addiction and the, the dangers of, of death and overdoses. Um, and then it turned into like a nationwide thing. And that's kind of how I had heard about it from another tribe that kind of started implementing it. And now there's, I think, an actual list on Amazon that, you know, shows you all the items that you can put in this room. And it's really a, a nice prevention and information um, sharing technique used by multiple prevention programs. So so who is the intended audiences for the forums? Anyone, anyone that um, that may be and that may be impacted at some point in their life, you know, I think even just to be educated so that you, if you have a family member or a distant relative who has someone struggling, that you, you have information that you can maybe help them. Um, the more information you have, the, the more our community can respond to these issues together. So I think, you know, we've had... Students come with their parents, um, and the parents, you know, use it as an opportunity to get information to um, youth in the community. We've had, you know, grandparents come. We've had professionals in the community come. um, Because I think it's, like I said, easy to get lost in your own department and be consumed by what you're doing and what you're providing. Um, So taking an opportunity to really come together and hear what other departments are doing or the services they have. Um, I think, yes, so we've, and we've also partnered with, um, we have a, a good partnership with Shano Hospital, Theta Care, on detox services, and they've really been, you know, really amazed at the work that we've done and, and also participated in some of our forums to to take some of that information back because they do serve a large portion of our population. So it's really, I think anybody in a professional, um, personal anybody who who wants to learn more about um, about these items is welcome and and will find it very informative so can you talk about we've 
talked about um, what the forum includes, but when is the forum happening? Where? What are the details on it? Okay, so um, we've been holding some meetings, um, which actually just started out as putting a brochure together um, as a resource uh, for people in our community um, to let them know about the programs that we do offer. And that ended up turning into somewhat like a fair which turned into this forum. So it would be January 28th of 2020 at the Menominee Casino Resort. Um, it would be starting at 9 o'clock and ending at 5 o'clock, and we will be serving brunch at 1130. Um, and the reason why we're doing this is because the opioid overdose, overdose deaths have reached epidemic proportions. Um, so some of the stuff that you'll have a chance to learn about would be opioid ident identification, um, and that includes the hidden in plain sight room, risks inside, signs of opioid use in the youth and young adults, how to react when you feel your loved one is using opioids, and resource, resources and programs that are offered in our communities, as well as human trafficking. And those are just some of the topics that we'll be talking about. Um, we're going to be doing breakout sessions in the afternoon. We'll be having Dr. Cole Hain. Gunther. Gunther. Yep. Um, he'll be speaking in the morning time. Um, I believe he'll be starting at 9 o'clock and ending about 11, 11.30ish. And he's going to talk about um, opioids and all that good stuff. And then he'll be able to oh. answer questions. <laughs> um, he'll be able to answer questions um, that the audience might have. And then we'll do the brunch and then um, do the breakout sessions in the afternoon. Yeah, and our presenters will be going, um, each presenter in the afternoon will be giving two separate presentations at different times. So individuals will be able to come in and kind of take a look at what we have and see what information is maybe more relevant to them and then pick which ones they want to go to. So it kind of gives you an opportunity to pick the information rather than having to go through the entire thing. So we kind of, I think it's a little different approach than we've taken before and hopefully it's it works out for a little bit more um, individuals in their busy schedules. What are the uh, group's plans for the future efforts to battle opioid addiction in the community? I'm going to speak to that because I had gone to a opioid session down in Milwaukee two years ago and I had went into a session with Brian Costellic and heard all these things that were going on, the people that were going down from these things, dying, and I said, oh, my God, we've got to have this guy up here. And so when I got back, I talked to the chairperson. He knew Brian and contacted him so that he could come up and do a presentation. And I, did, I just thought we can't have just one every year. He said, oh, he was up here a couple of years ago or something. I said, well, we can't be just doing something every other year or something. we got to do more. we got to do no less than two a year, and then Darla picked it up with her forums there and doing um, more information-type things. And so future is to continue to do this, these presentations, these forums, trainings, requiring... I actually had an ordinance, not an ordinance, I'm sorry, the tribal legislature pass a resolution to fight the opioid crisis and involve... All the departments have to be a part of this, all of them, because no one should be able to say, I don't have anything to do with this or I don't work with this stuff. I'm sorry, but we're all a part of it. And so 
There is a standing resolution. I'm going to address that again because not all departments are participating. Uh, so we need to send that out again. And so the future is to just keep pressing on. And, you know, people might not, departments might not like it, but I'm sorry. We need to fight these deaths that are happening on our reservation. And the only way is to get everybody involved, grassroots and neopit works. Wish we had a good grassroots in all our communities. So we just continue to have these informational type things going out there, getting more information. I talked to the police chief. He is going to bring together the other tribes in Wisconsin to do planning on this human trafficking because we know it's here. We know it's in the casinos, hotels. And so he is going to pull those people together and work with them to create plans on how to address this, how to communicate, and how to fight the human trafficking because it is getting bad. And we need to stay in there and fight to keep that uh, from getting worse or even get rid of it. Yeah, and I think the other piece to that is the the items we've discovered along the way of the forums, and they've really merged into other areas of training, like Myrna um, had spoken to, in that we, we've started to do, um, I think we've, we've merged some CIT training out of some of the grants that we've obtained, mm-hmm. and then also keeping our safety, um, law enforcement, you know, fire departments up to date on what's available for individuals that they're encountering. So it kind of morphed into a whole nother training aspect outside of the forums. And I, I only see that growing. The more forums we have, the more topics that come up and the more areas we see that we can, we can do something, we can change. And I think that's the biggest thing that we need to keep in mind is that we have to be open to change. We have to be open to thinking outside the box when it comes to tackling some of these things. And I see that growing over time as we continue the work. So. So for the community members that do attend the forum, um, what do you hope that they walk away from this event knowing or feeling? I I think personally, I I hope they feel more empowered to um, either make decisions that they've maybe questioned or struggled with, um, take action on things that maybe they weren't really sure or are unaware about. Another thing that we've always stressed and I continue to promote as you know as part of Manasakia we have individuals in recovery and and we still try to grow and increase access for um, recovery support after people become sober and I think you know we've we've always lacked some peer support groups in the community so those are those are things that I would love to see individuals feel more empowered to start I know families have been impacted so having um, you know, a peer-based support group for individuals who struggle with family members who are using or different types of recovery support. There's there's many different group styles that benefit multiple people, not just AA, but, you know, we have limited access in the community. So if if anyone would be interested, I'd, I'd love to share information and give get them connected to those organization groups that they can um, get the structure down. And I know I've had multiple people ask what's available and it's really something I'd like to continue to grow. So I think just having people empowered to do something that maybe they've always wanted to do or something new that they learned through the forum. So if someone is struggling with addiction and wants help, what can they call to get started with treatment? So right now we have multiple, um, 
avenues that and different additions to our programs that we've added. We have um, not only services at Manasakia, which we've increased access and, and do 24-hour intake services. Um, we've partnered with the Menominee Tribal Police Department in educating them. We did a walk through our building. We found some issues with some of our um, phone switchboarding that, you know, we've really we've fixed to make sure that when people call, they get somebody on the phone. So really making sure that we're able to be accessed. And then we also have other programs that, um, and we don't all, we don't only support our own um, programming. We've, we've also linked people to outside resources if there's challenges or, you know, things that, that might be outside of our ability to address. And I think that's where maybe Marcia can speak a little bit more to the crisis response workers because they kind of do a lot of that too. Yeah. So I guess in the beginning, I didn't really just kind of explain to you guys my role as project administrator. So I was brought on to help manage two COPE grants that we got through the Bureau of Justice Assistance um, just this past fiscal year. So we actually are entering into year two of the grant. And part of those grants were bringing on crisis response workers. They work through social services but are housed at the tribal police department and then also um, a clinical therapist and two peer support specialists who work over at Manasakia. We also have a play um, therapist who will be working out of social services as well. We'll be able to assist with people who are looking for treatment. So I guess part of that whole, you know, where people can get treatment from or who would they call would be either the crisis response workers or the peer supports. They're on 24-7, so somebody's always available. They have an abundance of resources that they can hand out. Um, They could assist with people getting to and from their appointments, setting people up with different services that they might need, and that's just not treatment services. Um, That's like personal needs that they might need as well. Um, And it's not only, like I said earlier, to just the person that needs the treatment, but it's also for family members and caregivers and things of that nature. So they could reach out to them. Like I said, they are stationed at the police department. They do work, you know, in the evening hours into the early morning hours. So there's somebody always that is uh, available on call. And again, peer support specialists are available as well. Plus you have the intake workers who work at Manasakia that are available. I do have contact information for the crisis response workers that somebody could call. And that we'll have that information available at the forum as well. Mm-hmm. It's I, also in the brochure. Yeah, but it's also available. We made a specific brochure that kind of addresses where you can go to get help for certain areas. I think the biggest thing that we've been able to accomplish, and I know Marsha took a, a, a strong lead in um, doing the CIT training for our officers, and I think that was the biggest thing that we've done and the biggest... Um, response to our safety sensitive positions that I've seen be impactful for services. So since they've they've gotten that training, um, they've worked really well with our staff at Manasakia in not just looking at punitive items um, and not to say that that's all they look for, but looking at it more as how can I help this person versus what have they done and you know so really looking at getting the individual help. I've had multiple officers, contact our department and get people in. So I think that's another avenue that people don't necessarily think of right away is if you have an officer responding and you know that someone's struggling in your household, you can feel free to talk to that officer. They're more, they're, they're trained Mm -hmm. to be able to 
um, you know, talk through that with you. They'll even contact the the agency. They'll, they've contacted us with individuals and supported. So I think that's a big thing that has really changed um, and another access point for people. So multiple yeah. areas. And with those police officers going through the crisis response um, team training, which is CIT, that really opened up their eyes to all the different types of resources and programs and treatments that are actually available to members in the community that they never knew about. Um, they also did site visits at Manasakia, Family Services, um, and Behavioral Health. And as they went through those um, site visits and spoke with people in those departments, they um, became very informed about stuff that they never even knew existed. I have had several success stories from many police officers after they've gone through that crisis intervention team training. and use the techniques that they learned during that training in terms of de-escalation and mental health and things of that nature that have worked and they are very proud and ecstatic that they actually were able to go through that training and, and implement what they learned out into um, what they do on a day-to-day basis. So it's been very successful. Um, so I'm, I'm happy that I was able to put that stuff together along with the team that I worked with um, I couldn't have done it without them, that's for sure. So um, we're getting there. For anybody that is interested in coming to the forum January 28th, if you'd like to RSVP, you can call Manasakia at 715-799-3835. If you are interested in having a informational table, you would have to call Manasakia to reserve that at, again, 715-799-3835. Wyman, for listening to the MITW Podcast, follow us on Facebook at MITW Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can also listen to the MITW Podcast on Menominee-NSN.gov under the Community tab.